0: Well good morning. good morning. All right. it's good to see you, and uh, we're so glad to be here. Bridgemore Park. That's right. that's right. We're so excited to be here. And uh, yeah, excited to be with you, Lance and your family. Uh, Lance and I have, uh, I've known of Lance for many years, but we've enjoyed a, a friendship here for the last gosh, almost a year now, and it's fun to just see how things have developed, and uh, thankful to be here this morning. And uh, bring the Word. Yeah, it's an end of a three-year journey for us, and uh, I know for some people, they're, they're at the other end. I'm at the crescendo, they're like, let's get to the next one. So it is good to be here, and uh, thank you, Jeff and team. Uh, great worship this morning, and uh, excited to be in the Word with you. So let's uh, get into the Word, uh, read uh, Matthew 28, 16 through 20, and uh, then we'll pray. So let's get into it. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them and when he saw them or when they, and when they saw him they worshiped him but some doubted. Hmm. And Jesus came and said to them, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit." teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, what we've enjoyed this morning, a uh, time of singing your praises, such great songs to fill our hearts, to draw our affections towards you this morning, to help us put aside the, the things on our, our to-do list, to to put aside the things that we had to go through this morning to get here. Lord, I pray now that uh, you would draw us into your word. And Lord, that you would take the scalpel, the sword, and Lord, just dig into our hearts. Judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Lord, transform us, conform us to your image. God, I pray that this morning would be a, a time of encouragement and equipping where you would be glorified, Lord, through your word. And Lord, may we hear the words of you, King Jesus, the victor. Lord, that we would hear your marching orders to us, your your church. And Lord, uh, we thank you for what you are doing in this world, for your sake, for your glory. And Lord, we thank you for uh, all that's ahead of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're coming to the end of the of the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, I, I want to kind of do a brief review before we jump into this very well-known passage um, so first of all, just to be really clear, the purpose of the Gospel of Matthew is the proclamation of the good news about Jesus Christ. Jesus is the promised Messiah. Matthew is making it so clear from beginning to end. Jesus is the promised one. He is the King Messiah. He, he, he lays out the, Jesus' credentials and his authority and his character throughout this to show that this is the man. Remember, this is the most Jewish of the Gospels written to Israel and to all these people, these new converts, to show this is the one. We, You know what? Israel, you missed him, but now let's go back and let's learn about him, this risen one. This was actually uh, the discipleship curriculum of the early church. Here's who Jesus is. Here's his ways, how you can live with him. And now let's proclaim him. We have it from the beginning to end. We have his lineage. was to show his credentials. The Messiah had to come from a certain line, and he lays it out in his, by his uh, genealogy there. We have in his arrival, we have angels announcing it. We have magi confirming it. We have the preaching of the forerunner to say, yes, he's the one, and here he comes. He's recognized by the crowds as he taught. What did they say? That he had authority, not like the scribes. They were amazed at his teaching. We see him constantly just, just, just changing things as he, as he talks. He's recognized even by demons as the son of God. Demons knew who he was. We have, of course, I've already mentioned, we have, he was announced by angels, and at his resurrection, they're there again. And best of all, he's recognized by who? By God himself at his baptism and his transfiguration. Matthew is constantly showing that Jesus fulfills every messianic prophecy and every messianic type. It is clear that this is the man. This risen king is the Messiah. He is the promised king. And at the end of Matthew, we have all these threads being drawn together. There's different threads, different themes in Matthew that he's emphasizing. We see him, for instance, when he's on the, given the Sermon on the Mount, he is, in, in essence, reenacting Moses giving the law at Mount Sinai. And we have him sitting down to teach, and he taught Torah. The Messiah needed to know the Word of God, and he taught it, and they were amazed at his teaching. We see him him being the light to the nations. It talked about when he arrived on the scene in the northern part of Israel, it was in fulfillment of the the Messiah coming and bringing the dawn of the Messiah's message to to the northern part. He was into the Galilee of the Gentiles. We see his authority claimed and demonstrated. Now here at the end, it's declared and affirmed. The king and his kingdom He's come offering it, now he's the king proven, and he's talking about his kingdom. So all these things are being drawn together here at the end of Matthew. But let's be really clear. We talked about the gospel of Matthew. The gospel is about Jesus Christ. It's not about a formula you memorize, it's about the person of Jesus Christ. It's about believing in him and who he is and what he did. He lived a perfect life, perfectly fulfilling the law, the Mosaic law. He was the one. He's the only one who ever fulfilled it perfectly. And because he fulfilled it perfectly, he earned righteousness, which is so important. Because we get that righteousness if we become a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Perfectly fulfilling the law. And then he steps in as our substitute. We see that on the cross. The sacrifice for our sins. He is the promised servant of Isaiah 53. He's the one fulfilling it all the way through. He fulfilled the prophesied role, and then he rose from the dead, proving he's God and able to save. We looked at the resurrection last week in our church, and what a joy. It was Easter in the middle of August, right? So here we are, we're at at this passage here at the end of Matthew, and and we're at the the final week, the end of his final week. It's actually the beginning of the next week. But it's funny that in, in Matthew, if you notice, that he has seven or eight chapters devoted to the final week of Jesus' life. And it's the, it's the largest percentage, if you look, devoted in Matthews for this final week called the Passion Week, the week of suffering. It began with his triumphal entry. And here, that was Jesus being presented to Jerusalem. Here's your king. Kids saw it. Here's the Messiah. Hosanna, save us from a messianic psalm. There's serious conflict during the week. He cleanses the temple, and then he has all these conflicts with the religious leaders, and guess who wins? Jesus does constantly. He's the man. And then the, ends, the week ends with their murder, with the religious leaders and their murderous rejection of him. But all the while, this wasn't by accident, was it? Jesus was in charge of every detail. He was fulfilling exactly what was supposed to happen to this suffering servant. Even down to the very moment of his death, it says that at 3 p.m., that fateful day on Friday, it says he gave over. He yielded up his life. He didn't die passively. He said, into your hands I commit my spirit, and he breathed his last. Jesus was in charge. The giver of eternal life is also the one who has the authority to lay it down. He's the man. All the way through. And this leads up again to the cross, where he died. He died fulfilling perfectly the plan of redemption. He is the perfect sacrifice. His life was the ransom price. He is the propitiation. All these, you see this throughout the New Testament, all these words being mentioned, it happens right here. The one who perfectly paid for the sins to the holy judge. That's what propitiation is. Providing the righteousness we must have to stand before God. When you get to heaven, you always said, you may have heard this, hey, when you get to heaven and God says, why should I let you into my heaven? Again, that's fictitional, by the way, but just, just stay with me on this. And he says, why should I let you into my heaven? Well, we can't say anything except that uh, Jesus did it for me. And you can't stand before a holy God unless you are holy yourself. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't have holiness of my own. Do you? No. But it says that he provided the holiness we need. His righteousness. When we're in him, we are clothed with his righteousness. Amen? So that's why we can stand before God. If you're a follower of a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what you have. That's what Jesus provided. This final week and what happens here on on the cross is just amazing. But it doesn't end there, does it? There's a, a, a little illustration here. Uh, just follow me with this one here, but uh, the right news is very important, not fake news, right? (laughs) The news of the result of the Battle of of Waterloo, going way back here in time, was eagerly awaited by the people of Great Britain, for so much depended on it. Somehow or other, the message came with one word short, and only two words got across, Wellington defeated. Defeated. The country was plunged into mourning, and great was the lamentation until the mistake was discovered, and the omitted third word arrived, Napoleon. So it read, Wellington defeated Napoleon. That makes a big difference, doesn't it? That one word. Their sorrow was turned into joy, and great rejoicings followed the mourning. Here's the deal. The tomb is not the end of the story, the final news story, is it? The, the tomb uh, was empty on that first day of the first week. Christ was the glorious victor at the cross. And, and that's what we see in, in, in verse, you know, that, that Matthew 28, the beginning of the passage. We just see that the great news, the tomb is empty. It changed everything. The resurrection changes everything, folks. You and I could not be sitting here with any kind of hope. Without him rising from the dead. Matter of fact, Paul, we looked at this last week at our church. Paul says, We're idiots if we believe this Christianity thing if there is no resurrection. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, this is all pointless. The resurrection changed everything. History has changed. The single most important event in human history, the resurrection. Amen? Amen. 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 Then we have this little interlude in verses 11 through 15 in chapter 28. I call that fake news. The anti-evangelism. The religious leaders and the soldiers get together, come up with a really weak story. Oh, they stole the body while we were asleep. Okay, how did you know it was them if you were asleep? One, two, you should be dead and none of them got killed for it. But that was their anti-evangelism. But now we have here, in our passage now, we have the king providing the true message, our true marching orders. The king is holding court in Galilee. That's what's happening. The king is holding court here. So now we'll jump into verses 16 and 17, the king and his people. So now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So now, it's just to say, hey, in contrast to what was going on with these religious leaders and the soldiers, we have the truly risen and vindicated king, and the people are to come and hear him. It says the 11 disciples, because they're minus one, which is Judas, okay? But I don't believe it was just the 11 that went to meet him. See, where did Jesus spend most of his ministry? up in the northern part of, of Israel, Galilee. His headquarters were in Capernaum. It, it, that's, and that's right. It's such an important place. This, this is a strategic location because that was that was on the crossroads. It was on the main crossroads going from the Via Maris, the way of the sea, like the 101, all right? And it was connecting over to the five. Okay, I know it doesn't look like it here, but just stay with me. You know what I'm talking about. There was a connector highway, a trade route that would go all the way across. And that's where they would come. The Jews would come into contact with the Gentiles. That's why down in Jerusalem, they're like, oh, those northerners. They're the unclean, the unwashed. They're in contact with the Gentiles. And that's the whole point. We're now getting a taste of what the king wants to do. Get in contact with the nations. So he tells them, hey, up north, go up there. And I'll meet you there. So this is probably where 1 Corinthians, where the, the gathering of the 500 believers at one time, this is probably where it happened, where it says in 1 Corinthians fifteen six. then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So he tells them, go up there, he shows up, but it was on a specific mountain, Okay? We don't know if this is the mountain where he gave the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5-7. through 7. We don't know if it was the mountain where he was transfigured, whether that's Mount Hermon or if it's Mount Tabor. We're not sure, but here's the deal. When you read the scriptures, you have to read it like a first century Jew. Think like a Jew. At my church, you know that I say that all the time. Read it, go back in time, read it how they would hear it. When they hear this, when he, when he went up on the mountain and he, he sat down to teach, in their mind, the Jewish mind, this is like Moses. Is this the one? Because Moses in Deuteronomy 18 had said, hey, watch out for a prophet who's going to be just like me, who's going to come. They had this huge messianic expectation at that time. And here Jesus shows up and he's doing these miracles. He's teaching Torah and he's on a mountain. Jesus tells them, hey, go back and meet me on that specific mountain. Which one it was, we're not sure. But again, he, they, they go and they're gonna listen. And by the way, the Moses at the end of his life, he was on another mountain, wasn't he? Mount Sinai, he got the law, gave it to the people, but at the end of his life, Mount Nebo, and we have the book of Deuteronomy, where he's giving the marching orders to the Jews as they go on the conquest. Kind of interesting. But he, they show up there, some some worshipped. I would too. What happened on that morning? of the resurrection the women when they saw him and they recognized what it said that they went down and they seized his feet don't go jesus we can't believe you're alive but it says here that that some doubted what does that mean well it means some doubted now there's two reasons given that some people think that might have happened one there are some disciples when they saw the risen jesus they didn't recognize him right At first, the women, when they saw him, they didn't, and then also the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. So maybe when Jesus showed up at that mountain in Galilee in this passage, that when he was kind of far away, they didn't see him, they were doubting, and then he got closer, they recognized him. I don't think so. I think it is because some had heard about the resurrection, but they're like, how in the world could that happen? The dead don't come back, right? Have you ever met someone who's come back from the dead? I'm looking, because I'd like to talk to you afterwards, right? But, so they were doubting, and that's honest. Isn't that cool? We see that in the gospel. We see tastes in the gospel that is just so authentic. Some doubted. Hey, they're just like you and me. Any of you ever doubt? No? Okay, well, I do sometimes. This is good for me. So this is just just walking through a very real account. So the king commands them to meet him in Galilee on a specific mountain. The King Messiah gathers his people. Some doubted, but at least they showed up. And what does he do? Does he chastise them? No, he doesn't. We'll see that in the next passage. He comes towards them. Come and see. I'll prove it to you. But the king, he he answers their doubts. And, And indeed, the light has dawned on Galilee of the Gentiles. The worldwide spread of the gospel of of Jesus, the King Messiah, the risen king, is beginning. Because here's where it starts. So, verse 18, we have the king and his authority. All right? And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That word all dominates this passage. All authority. Okay, it talks about his universal kingship. It says when it goes to all the nations, it talks about the universal scope of his target people. When it says to, co- he says, "I you know, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you." it Goes to his universal, our need to obey the King. That's a universal command to obey His teachings. And then He says, "Lo, I'm with you always, to the end of the age." Talks about His universal promise of presence and power for His sent ones. Now there are twelve apostles, but they're not the only apostles, are they? You know what apostle means? Sent one. We are sent ones. I'm jumping ahead of myself, but you get the point. And we see also, too, when, when, a, when Jesus says, and all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, we also have, we're supposed to think of his, the king and his kingdom again. His kingdom, it just dominates Matthew. Jesus is taught often that the king of God was at hand, right? He said that. Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. The king is here offering his kingdom. We have here the king... Having been proven to be the Son of God, the Son of Man, but he doesn't have a visible kingdom. Was Jesus reigning from Jerusalem in David's throne at this point? No. That goes to what's called the already, but not yet. His kingdom was here, the king was vindicated, but the fullness of his kingdom is not manifest on earth yet. There will be an earthly reign. But this is the in between time. This is what was hidden from the Old Testament saints. Paul says this is the mystery that's been unveiled, revealed. It's called the ingrafting of the Gentiles, also called the times of the Gentiles. How many of you are not of Jewish origin? Gentile, okay? Be praising God that there's this interlude. I do. (laughs) We have been grafted in, we get to be saved. And then there will be an end of this times when it's fulfilled, Romans 11, when all Israel will be saved, and we'll see that happen again, right? But this is the in-between time. The king has come with his kingdom, but it's going to manifest itself, it's going to grow in a way that was not foreseen. One day the king will return. Matter of fact, you read Acts 6, and by the way, all the passages he read before, I had people reading and talking around me saying, you don't even need to preach now. That was great, Lance. Thanks. Amen. Amen. <laughs> but one of the passages you read, I love this, is Acts 1, 6 through 8. So when they had come together, the disciples with Jesus, they asked him, and this is after six weeks with him, by the way, the risen Lord being retaught by him, six weeks, all right? They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Do you notice that they're still asking about the restored kingdom? They had in their mind a literal kingdom because that's what was promised. So they still had this, and and that's where Jesus says, He didn't correct them, says, No, you guys have totally misunderstood the kingdom. He doesn't say that. He says, Don't worry about when it's going to happen. Just do the task I've given you. And what was the task, according to Acts 1 8? You will be my witnesses. Witnesses! Let's testify. But he talks about authority again. I mention these big themes in Matthew because we're supposed to see these. Again, as a Jew, we would hear these things and understand. In America, this whole idea of a king and his authority just does not resonate with us, right? We vote guys in and out of power all the time. We don't like them. We sign a petition. Hey, if you're really bad, we'll impeach you. That didn't happen in this mindset. A king had total authority. So when he talks about all authority has been given to him, we need to understand what he means by that. Authority here has the idea that Jesus has, by the right of his position and his deeds, the authority to rule, to reign. He is not a fake king. He's not an usurper. He's not a rebel, but has been vindicated and proven that he is the son of God, the rightful ruler. Yes, he has the power, but that's not what authority is about. It's by right of position. In Matthew, we see authority, just a constant theme, where it's claimed and demonstrated by Jesus. Matthew 4, 24. So his fame spread out throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. He had authority over sickness, over demons. Matthew 7, 29, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. He had authority over the word of God. But that you, Matthew 9, 6, but that, you, that, <laughs> but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then, he turned and said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And what did the paralytic do? He did exactly that there's no atrophy here, instantaneous, totally public, totally miraculous, got up and it showed, it was proven. He was proving he had the authority to forgive sins. He's been authority, it says that in Matthew 11, uh, 27, all things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. He has authority to reveal God. He has authority. It's all the way through. Listen to what he says here. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Jesus, a man, said this about himself. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. That's authority. So he claimed that, and he demonstrated that, but here's the deal. He was vindicated. The resurrection is the proof of God's acceptance of his sacrifice, and it is his declaration that Jesus is indeed the promised King Messiah, the divine Son of Man. It was promised, and he claimed it, but now it's proven by the resurrection. Romans 1, 1-5, Paul kicks off his whole letter, this huge theology work, with this passage. He says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures. And what's it about? It's concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. He's the Messiah. And was declared to be what? The son of God with power, in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. He is vindicated. He is the one with authority, and it's authority given by the Father in fulfillment of that famous passage in Daniel. Here we have in, in the Old Testament, one of those places where you're like, wait a second, how can there be two divine figures? I thought there was only one God. Look at this, Daniel 7, 13 through 14. This is Daniel. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven... There came one like the Son of Man, by the way, the Jewish mind, the clouds of heaven, if someone was coming out, that was the chariot of God. look in Psalms. So someone who's coming on the cherry, on, on the clouds of heaven, the chariot of God, someone who came like a Son of Man. And by the way, what was Jesus' favorite self-title? Self-identification? The Son of Man. And he came to the ancient of days. Well, who's that? God the Father and was presented before Him. And to Him, this Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. He fulfilled this prophecy. He is the Son of Man. This authority is His given by the Father. So standing before these disciples on that specific mountain was no defeated rabbi or revolutionary or whatever other label you want to come up with. That's not who Jesus was or is. He is the risen king, the son of God, the son of man. Victory was his over sin, death, and Satan. All authority was and is his. The king reigns and his kingdom will never end. Yet, in this, glory, in this period of already but not yet, he has a task to give to his people. All right, you guys ready for that? I had to make a big point about the authority, because if he's got the authority, what do we do? We submit to it, right? He's the king, can't vote him out, we got something to do, and he's going to tell us what to do now. And that's the king and his commissioning of his people. And this was, by the way, is not the Great Commission. Lance and I talked about this before. You know what the Great Commission is? The Father sending the Son. That's the Great Commission. We get passed on that commission. And we have that commission 2,000 years later. But the Great Commission was the Father sending the Son. Amen. So here we have the commission. We get to the heart of what most of us have heard before. But let's walk through this. Go, therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That therefore, just launches off of what is just said, because of his victory, because all authority is now his, now we must listen to the king. Therefore, we need to find out what his plans are for us. And then... What we're going to do is, so what is this mission? Well, he lays it out for us. First of all, the mission is not going. The mission is make disciples. That's the command in this passage. The going, the teaching, or the baptizing and the teaching, those are participles, meaning they describe the, the verb, the main action. They describe how it's done. But make disciples. This is the main command. And what are disciples? They're learners, they're followers of. As a matter of fact, there's the Jewish saying is that may you get the dust of, your ra- of the rabbi on you, meaning you walk so closely behind the rabbi that you don't just hear what he says, but you imitate him. So a learner is not just a learner of what he says, but how he lives and do the same. We are to be learners, not just people who know and can spout off a bunch of stuff about Jesus. We have to live like him. James makes a big deal about this, right? Faith is both knowing and obeying and doing. We're listening as learners to the authoritative teaching of the master. We are humble students who listen, learn, and obey. Here's the deal. The longer we are, we live as Christians, we have a tendency to get pretty prideful. Oh, I've heard that already. How many of you, when you heard that this was going to be the pastor, you're like, oh, I know this one? I can tend to do that. I would say this, remind my people all the time when we preach. It's like, look, don't let the familiarity ruin the message. We've heard it, but we need to rehear it. I need to be reminded all the time. I'm dumb. I forget. Or I just get disobedient. How many of you are like that? Yeah? Am I among, amongst fellow imperfect people? I didn't see a lot of raised hands. Everyone get your hands up. <laughs> you're breathing (laughs) we all struggle we need this reminder and here's the deal we don't make disciples of ourselves do we see rabbis made disciples of themselves but we follow the great rabbi so we make followers of him we do our best to help them but we're all just trying to pursue him and it's of all nations you understand in matthew the mission of jesus was not to all nations He said he came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But there are hints that it was supposed to go out further. And now it's being made clear. And by the way, see the book of Acts, right? And boy, did they have hurdles. Love the book of Acts. We're probably going to go into that next year. But to watch how these imperfect people, even in the early church, they had problems. They had hurdles to overcome. Why? Because they were sinners. But God still used them to change the world. And it's still changing. So that's the command, make disciples. But the process has three parts to it. Going, baptizing, and teaching. It's not quick and easy. It's not like go to some you know, harvest crusade and you become a Christian and boom, you're done. It's a lifelong process, isn't it? It's very, it's a struggle. It's not easy being a Christian, is it? If you have an easy life as a Christian, let's talk. I want your, that's it's not the Christian life. But again, The three participles participles describe what what it's supposed to look like. So first of all, going, it means to be on the go, with intention, being sent out. It has the force of a command, though, because it is what's called fronted in the Greek. It's before the main verb, okay? It is to be a going with the gospel type of people to your neighbors, your co-workers, your community, your nation, to Haiti, overseas, wherever you can go. We are to be characterized as people who are intentionally about Jesus. Do your co-workers know you are a Christian? Do your neighbors? Do they? Again, you don't, I'm not trying to guilt. I don't know anyone out here, most of you. I know some of you, but here's the deal. This is a challenge for me, too. We are supposed to be an on-the-go type of people, intentionally sent out. Again, I talked about this already, but we see Jesus, He was sent by the Father on a mission. Galatians 4, 4-5, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Why? So that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, we're going to be fun to have you next week at our church. We get, we're going to steal Lance from you next week, the bridges, and he's going to be preaching on adoption. And that's what we get. But you know what? When we proclaim the gospel, that's what we're telling people about. This adoption they can have into the family of God. So Jesus here, he's sending his followers out. Us. We have a mission. Jesus said to them again, John 20, 21, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, the great commission, even so I am sending you. Wow. Wow. It's a heavy mission, isn't it? How are you doing with it? Okay, I, this is, I know I, I ask some tough questions at times, but the finger goes this way too. How are you doing? Are you a person who's characterized? People say, wow, okay, there's something different. I know they're a little crazy, but you know what? There's something attractive. They've got hope. Hope when their wife has cancer. Hope when they're facing the loss of a job. Hope. Even when things are down, what? What is this deal? I can see they feel the pain. I see the tears, but they still have hope. What is that? It's called Jesus, isn't it? Because this isn't the end of the story. The tomb for Jesus wasn't the end of the story. Neither is it for us. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. So first of all, going. Second, baptizing. That word means to dunk, to immerse. The idea was to take a piece of cloth and dip it in dye so it became totally a different color. I don't believe in sprinkling. I don't think it's sinful, but I do believe you get dunked, okay? It's commanded. It's supposed to be at the beginning of the Christian life. It's to be a public identification as a Christ follower. I was in Kazakhstan several years ago. We were at a seminary there training uh, nationals and and men from other regions where uh, American Christians couldn't go. And we talked to some of the uh, nationals from other countries. And they said, you know, when we became a Christian, nothing happened to us. And they're in predominantly Muslim areas. I forgot to say that. He says, but you know what? When we got baptized, me and my wife got taken out of the village, beaten to the point of death. And they said, if you ever come back, we're going to kill you. See, baptism means something. Here, it's kind of a weird ritual. That's so, that's, well, what are they doing? It's very important. It's commanded. Now, it doesn't save you but it's it's supposed to be one of the first acts that a Christian does of obedience. It's a sign of the fruit of salvation. And here's the deal. I didn't say the other part. It's to be a public declaration that you have repented of your sins and you believe in Jesus, you follow him and belong to him. But, But here's the deal. We see in Romans 6, verses 3 through 5, that baptism is really an illustration of what happens to us spiritually. It's an illustration. Listen to this, Romans 6, 3 through 5. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? It's symbolic of dying with him when you go under the water. It's also symbolic of cleansing. Water cleanses. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if you you have been united with him into a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him into a resurrection like his. So baptism is hugely symbolic. I love doing baptisms. The more public, the better. We love doing them down at the beach. We have people give their testimonies up on the sand or on the grass, depending on where we do it. So people hear the testimony because our culture doesn't know what baptism is, but we still do it. It's unusual because it's to be a declaration. It's an amazing thing. Okay, I'm going to get real personal. How many of you have been baptized? Okay, I didn't ask for the raising of hands, but you guys, way to go. (laughs) And if you haven't, let's get that done. This is not to, well, it is kind of convict you, but not in a hardcore way. I want you to get baptized. We love baptisms. What a celebration of the miracle of new birth. Miracles still do happen. When you become a Christian, that's a miracle. The dead are raised. Right? I'm getting off on this. Oh, and by the way, here we have two baptizing. So not just baptize them, he says, baptize them what? Into the name. By the way, it's the name singular in the Greek, but then it's to the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. We have one of the clearest statements of what we call the Trinity or the triunity of God. Jesus here is putting himself on par with God. Do you understand how crazy that sounds? Didn't that sound weird? Jesus, a man who they had lived with for three years, is saying he's God. Now, he's proven it, but still, just to hear that. But it's true. He, there's one God, yet three persons. All are God. They're not three separate gods, but they're one and three. I know it's mind-boggling, but we've got to say it because here it is. Right? Amen. So it's a specific kind of baptism into the name of Jesus Christ as God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It doesn't end there, does it? It's not just conversion. Getting a baptized, it's, it's a lifelong process. Because it says, teaching to observe all that I have commanded you. Oh my goodness. I don't obey all the time all that I know that he said to do. How about you? It's a lifelong process of learning is what we're being called to. To teaching. Inherent in the word disciple is the idea of a learner. Learners are taught. To make disciples means to teach and to instruct. Both in the data, we do need to know data. There's no doubt about that. There's knowledge. But also in the modeling. So when you're discipling, you've got to live it out. Right? They say more people, you know, they, they, more is caught than taught. They need to see the Christian life lived out. And so while we have classes where we teach like the life of Jesus or here's how you evangelize. We also want one-on-one discipleship where you meet for coffee and you know somebody for a long time and you spend time with them because over time, they not only hear, the new believer not only hears about Jesus and how to live, they also see it from a real-life living disciple. And they learn. Incidentally, that is the mandate of the church. That's why Lance, why the elders, myself, we are to be teachers. That's our primary job is to equip the flock. We are to teach, to teach, to teach, to teach, to teach, to teach. Matter of fact, the Word of God, we're supposed to teach the whole counsel of God, according to Paul when he was meeting with the elders of, of Ephesus in Acts 20. But we have here, what are we supposed to teach? The Word of God. 2 Timothy 3, and I'm going to start in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned. This is Paul talking to Timothy. And where was Timothy, by the way? Timothy was leading the church at Ephesus. He was there, and Paul was encouraging him. Hey, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you, have, from whom you learned it and how from childhood. Well, who taught him in his childhood? His mom and his grandma, it says. Moms? Grandmas? You play an important role. Don't you ever, ever think that it's unimportant? We all have to teach the Word of God. And how from childhood you have have been acquainted with the sacred writings, Scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Then he says this, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for what? Teaching, doctrine in some of your translations. It teaches you, here's God and here's his ways. It's useful for reproof. Hey, you've gotten off God's ways. For correction, hey, here's how you get back on God's ways. And for training in righteousness, here's how you stay on God's ways, God's pathway. For what end? That the man and woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Word is what we need to be teaching. If you say you're discipling somebody, but you never talk about the Word of God, add it quickly. Otherwise, you're teaching opinion and hazy thoughts. Get to the Word. The task we are given is to make disciples, proclaim Christ, preach the gospel, the call for repentance of sins and surrender to this King Jesus. Those who believe in Jesus, to get them baptized. Baptized. And then into a lifelong pursuit of learning Jesus and obeying him and following him. Make disciples. Come back to that in a second. But here's the last part where he gives them this, his promise. The promise of his presence in the last part of verse 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's a precious promise. He closes with his, with his promise. Though he was leaving physically, he wouldn't be gone at all. He was with them. The Emmanuel of Matthew one twenty three, meaning, what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. God, God's, God amongst us. God with us. It's still with us. Death couldn't hold him. Now he guarantees his empowering presence wherever they go, wherever we go. We are his set ones, 2 Corinthians five nineteen through 20. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Praise God. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Wow. Hey, ambassadors. I lived in Brazil when I was in junior high, 8th and ninth grade, actually. And I got to meet the ambassador... To Brazil from the United States. We get to go hang out at the embassy and the grounds there, play soccer and all that, and get meeting him. And it was cool. Got to meet him, nice guy and all that. But what was interesting is like, you know, older and get to read about this, he would represent the United States to Brazil. He, in essence, was the president. Now, he wasn't the president, but by proxy, he was. He had all the authority given to him to represent the United States to that sovereign nation of Brazil. Wow. I'm looking at the same group. Wow. We are apostles, small a, small a, okay? We are ambassadors. And yet we have his presence. What does his presence guarantee? That we have his authority. We have his power to represent him. Amen? Amen. So when you talk to your friends about Jesus, you don't have to apologize. You know, I discuss people from different cults and all that. I just get them to Jesus. And if they get mad at me and say, look, you can be mad at me, but here's the deal. You got to deal with Jesus. He is the risen King. He is the son of God, the son of man. You have to deal with Jesus. The tomb is empty. That's what we get to bring. Now, I've talked a lot about a king, but I want to end with this too, or or this not ending yet, almost there, almost there. But here's the deal while he is king, he is also our good shepherd. While he is the sovereign one, he is also the merciful and compassionate one. So don't miss that in this. I'm coming hard down on the authority, but you know what? That's who he is here. But he's the king who has come and who's died for us. He's the high priest that says, You can come to my throne of grace boldly. Run to me. And what will you find there? Mercy, compassion, and help in your time of need. Isn't that cool? That's the presence I want. And we've got that in Jesus Christ. Folks, we've been given a task. If you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm glad you're here. If I just overwhelmed you with a lot of stuff, let's talk afterwards. But I want you to know, Jesus. It's your only hope. It's my only hope. Amen? If you are a follower, have you been baptized? Some of you haven't coming after you. And I mean that in all sorts of loving ways. Let's get more baptisms. That would be so fun. There's such a dis- demonstration to the world that, yeah, boy, that Jesus is different. And I want them to know that Jesus. And if you are a follower and you've been baptized, how are you doing at, at being a disciple? Are you a learner? Do you come to church with your arms crossed? I got this. I'm going to check on all the. Again, you're supposed to be checking the scriptures and tracking with. But what's your attitude? Are you a humble learner? Are you? Ask yourself that. We're supposed to, aren't we? And if you are also a humble learner, that's awesome. Are you making disciples? Who are you building into? You, gotta, you have to have some people on. Whom, who are you spending time encouraging and strengthening? Sometimes it'll be short little snippets, but who are you in a, a longer relationship with? Parents, you get to disciple your kids. My daughter just came back from the army on Friday. <laughs> so, <laughs> silly, sorry. <laughs> but we've been discipling her. We get to see her grow up. And we're excited. No, you have a few sitting around here. It's so fun to see that. But that's, that is discipleship. You're not just parenting, you're discipling. But, it, but if you're a parent, it doesn't mean you just disciple your kids there's other kids that need discipling, aren't there? When I was a youth pastor, I had on my staff these two, uh, they, were in, they were single, a guy and a gal, and they, they eventually got married, really fun to watch, but they were, they were what I called my best disciples. They had more kids than many people I know because they discipled and discipled, and they still are. They're in their 50s now, and they're still in that same youth group, and we're in contact. Just so fun to hear How God has given them a heart to adopt kids, not literally, but to say, we want to disciple, we want to see them know Jesus. Isn't that cool? So, folks, we have a task. How are you doing? Any of you mad at me? I hope so. It's all right. And I pray, I pray that we would just grab a hold of this and just make disciples. Make disciples. The king's told us, let's get to it. And he's going to come back one day, I hope soon. But let's get to it. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for, uh, gosh, this this picture here of what's happening on this, this mountainside. As you gather your people, and Lord, we're there with. We're there right there with the crowd worshiping you. Lord, so I, I pray that we would... Uh, we would hear your marching orders. We would take that with us, that we would incorporate that to our very being. And Lord, thank you for your mercy and your compassion. Just even here, that little taste of some doubt, yet you come to them. And Lord, thank you for the mercy and compassion, even in the midst of this. Lord, we fail miserably so often, but God, you are the God of second chances. Our, your mercies are new every morning. So Lord, I pray that that instead of walking out here of guilt, that we come out of here with conviction to, I want to get to this. I pray that that Lance has a ton of people asking, how do I do this? I pray that I have the same problem. People want to do this more and more. God, we love you. Thank you for the, the, the spread of your kingdom. And may we be people who are proclaimers of your great victory. So we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.